Chapter 12, Part 2 of Struggles and Triumphs, or Forty Years' Recollections of P.T. Barnum. Written by himself. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nancy Cochran Gergen, Gilbert, Arizona. Struggles and Triumphs of P.T. Barnum, Chapter 12, In France, Part 2. On the 4th of July, 1844, I was in Grenelle, outside the barriers of Paris, when I remembered that I had the address of Monsieur Renier, an eminent mechanician who lived in the vicinity. Wishing to purchase a variety of instruments such as he manufactured, I called at his residence. He received me very politely, and I soon was deeply interested in this intelligent and learned man. He was a member of many scientific institutions, was Chevalier of the Legion of Honor, etc. While he was busy in making out my bill, I was taking a cursory view of the various plates, drawings, etc., which adorned his walls when my eyes fell on a portrait which was familiar to me. I was certain that I could not be mistaken, and on approaching nearer, it proved to be, as I expected, the engraved portrait of Benjamin Franklin. It was placed in a glazed frame, and on the outside of the glass were arranged thirteen stars made of metal, forming a half-circle round his head. Ah! I exclaimed, I see you have here a portrait of my fellow countryman, Dr. Franklin. Yes, replied Monsieur Regnier, and he was a great and an excellent man. When he was in Paris in 98, he was honored and respected by all who knew him, and by none more so than the scientific portion of the community. At that time, Dr. Franklin was invited by the president of the Society of Emulation to decide upon the merits of various works of art submitted for inspection, and he awarded my father, for a complicated lock, the prize of a gold medal. While my father was with him at his hotel, a young Quaker called upon the doctor. He was a total stranger to Franklin, but at once proceeded to inform him that he had come to Paris on business, had unfortunately lost all his money, and wished to borrow six hundred francs to enable him to return to his family in Philadelphia. Franklin inquired his family name, and upon hearing it, immediately counted out the money, gave the young stranger some excellent advice, and bade him adieu. My father was struck by the generosity of Dr. Franklin, and as soon as the young man had departed, he told the doctor that he was astonished to see him so free with his money to a stranger, that people did not do business in that way in Paris, and what he considered very careless was that Franklin took no receipt, not even a scratch of a pen from the young man. Franklin replied that he always felt a duty and pleasure in relieving his fellow men, and especially in this case, as he knew the family, and they were honest and worthy persons. My father, himself a generous man, continued Monsieur Renier, was affected nearly to tears, and begged the doctor to present him with his portrait. He did so, and this is it. My father has been dead some years. He bequeathed the portrait to me, and there is not money enough in Paris to buy it. I need not say that I was delighted with this recital. I remarked to Monsieur Renier that he should double the number of stars, as we now, in 1844, had 26 states instead of 13, the original number. 
I am aware of that, he replied, but I do not like to touch the work which was left by my father. I hold it sacred, and, added he, I suppose you are not aware of the uses we make of these stars. Assuring him in the negative, those stars, said he, are made of steel, and on the night of every anniversary of American independence, which is this night, it was always the practice of my father, and will always be mine, to collect our family and children together, darken the room, and by means of electricity, these stars, which are connected, are lighted up, and the portrait illuminated by electricity, Franklin's favorite science, thus forming a halo of glory about his head, and doing honor to the name of a man whose fame should be perpetuated to eternity. In continuing the conversation, I found that this good old gentleman was perfectly acquainted with the history of America, and he spoke feelingly of what he believed to be the high and proud destiny of our republic. He insisted on my remaining to supper and witnessing his electrical illumination. Need I say that I accepted the invitation? Could an American refuse? We partook of a substantial supper, upon which the good old gentleman invoked the blessing of our Father in Heaven, and at the conclusion he returned hearty thanks. At nine o'clock the children and family of Monsieur Renier and his son-in-law were called in, the room was darkened, the electrical battery was charged, and the wire touched to one of the outer stars. The whole thirteen became instantly bright as fire, and a beautiful effect was produced. What more simple and yet beautiful and appropriate manner could be chosen to honor the memory of Franklin? And what an extraordinary coincidence it was that I, a total stranger in Paris, should meet such a singular man as Monsieur Regnier at all, and more especially on that day of days, the anniversary of our independence. At ten o'clock I took my leave of this worthy family, but not till we had all joined in the following toast proposed by Monsieur Regnier. Washington, Franklin, and Lafayette, heroes, philosophers, patriots, and honest men, may their names stand brightest on the list of earthly glory, when, in after ages, this whole world shall be one universal republic, and every individual under heaven shall acknowledge the truth that man is capable of self-government. It will not be considered surprising that I should feel at home with Monsieur Regnier. Both the day and the man conspired to excite and gratify my patriotism, and the presence of Franklin, my love of my native land. During my stay in Paris, a Russian prince, who had been living in great splendor in that city, suddenly died, and his household and personal effects were sold at auction. I attended the sale for several days in succession, buying many articles of vertu, and among others a magnificent gold tea-set and a silver dining service, and many rare specimens of Severus china. These articles bore the initials of the family name of the prince, and his own P.T., thus damaging the articles so that the silver and gold were sold for their weight value only i bought them and adding b to the p t had a very fine table service still in my possession and bearing my own initials p t b while dining one day with my friend dr brewster in paris all the company present were in raptures over some very fine lafitte wine on the table and the usual exclamations delicious and fruity were heard on all sides. 
when i went to the south of france the doctor gave me a letter of introduction to lafitte's agent mr good at bordeaux and i was shown through the extensive cellar of the establishment the agent talked learnedly almost affectionately about the choice and exclusive vineyards of the establishment and how the stones in the ground retained the warmth derived from the sun during the day throughout the night thus mellowing and maturing the grapes and resulting in the production of a peculiar wine which was possible to no other plot of ground in the entire grape country i afterwards learned however that this exclusive establishment bought up the entire wine product of all the vineyards in the region round about it was like the celebrated cabana cigars in havana one day a friend was dining with me in bordeaux and i called for a bottle of lafitte which purchased on the very ground of its manufacture was of course genuine and deliciously fruity it was very old wine of some famous year and the bottle as brought up from the bin was covered with cobwebs and dust but while we were sipping the wine and exclaiming fruity at proper intervals i happened to take out my knife and quite inadvertently cut off a bit of the label the next day when my friend was again dining with me i called for another bottle of the peculiar lafitte which had so delighted us yesterday it came cobwebbed and dust-covered and was duly discussed and pronounced deliciously fruity but horrors all at once something caught my attention and i exclaimed do you see that cut label that is the very bottle which held the rare old wine of yesterday there is the earmark which i left with my knife on the bottle and i summoned the landlord and thus addressed him what do you mean you scoundrel by putting your infernal vin ordinaire into old bottles and passing it off upon us as genuine lafitte he protested that such a thing was impossible we were at the very fountain-head of the wine and no one would dare to attempt such a fraud especially upon experienced wine-tasters like ourselves but i showed him my careless but remembered remark on the bottle and proved by my friend that we had the same bottle for our wine of the day before this was shown so conclusively and emphatically that the landlord finally confessed his fraud and said that though he had sold thousands of bottles of so-called lafitte to his guests he never had two dozen bottles of the genuine article in his possession in his life every one who has been in the wine district knows that the wine is trodden from the graves by the bare feet of the peasants and while i was there desiring a new experience i myself trod out a half barrel or so with my own naked feet dancing vigorously the while to the sound of a fiddle in spite of the extraordinary attention and unbounded petting the little general received at the hands of all classes he was in no sense a spoiled child but retained throughout that natural simplicity of character and demeanor which added so much to the charm of his exhibitions he was literally the pet of paris and after a protracted and most profitable season we started on a tour through france the little general's small shetland ponies and miniature carriage would be sure to arouse the enthusiasm of the provincials so i determined to take them along with us we went first to rouen and from thence to toulon visiting all the intermediate towns including orleans nantes brest bordeaux where i witnessed a review by the dukes de nemours and d'aumale 
of twenty thousand soldiers who were encamped near the city from bordeaux we went to toulouse montpellier nimes marseilles and many other less important places holding levies for a longer or shorter time while at nantes bordeaux and marseilles the general also appeared in the theatres in his french part of petit Pousset. very soon after leaving paris for our tour through france i found that there were many places where it would be impossible to proceed otherwise than by post general tom thumb's party numbered twelve persons and these with all their luggage four little ponies and a small carriage must be transported in posting vehicles of some description i therefore resolved that as posting in france was as cheap and more independent than any other method of travel a purchase of posting vehicles should be made for the sole use of the renowned general tom thumb and sweet one vehicle however large would have been insufficient for the whole company and effects and moreover would have been against the regulations these regulations required that each person should pay for the use of one horse whether using it or not and i therefore made the following arrangements i purchased a post chaise to carry six persons to be drawn by six horses a vehicle on springs with seats for four persons and room for the generals four ponies and carriage to be drawn by four horses and lastly a third vehicle for conveying the baggage of the company including the elegant little house and furniture set on the stage in the general's performances of petit pousset at the theatres the whole drawn by two horses with such a retinue the general cut quite a swell in journeying through the country travelling indeed in grander style than a field marshal would have thought of doing in posting through france all this folly and expense the uninitiated would say of employing twelve horses and twelve persons to say nothing of the general's four ponies in exhibiting a person weighing only fifteen pounds but when this retinue passed along the roads and especially when it came into a town people naturally and eagerly inquired what great personage was on his travels and when told it was the celebrated general tom thumb and sweet everybody desired to go and see him it was thus the best advertising we could have had and was really in many places our cheapest and in some places our only mode of getting from point to point where our exhibitions were to be given during most of the tour i was a week or two ahead of the company making arrangements for the forthcoming exhibitions and doing my entire business without the aid of an interpreter for i soon picked up french enough to get along very well indeed i did not forget that franklin learned to speak french when he was seventy years of age and i did not consider myself too old to learn what indeed i was obliged to learn in the interests of my business as for the little general who was accompanied by a preceptor and translator he very soon began to give his entire speaking performances in french and his piece petit poussé was spoken as if he were a native in fact i soon became the general's avant-courier though not doing the duties of an avant-courier to an ordinary exhibition since these duties generally consist in largely puffing the coming man an expected show thus endeavoring to create a public appetite and to excite curiosity my duties were quite different 
after engaging the largest theater or saloon to be found in the town i put out a simple placard announcing that the general would appear on such a day thereafter my whole energies were directed apparently to keeping the people quiet i begged them not to get excited i assured them through the public journals that every opportunity should be afforded to permit every person to see the distinguished little general who had delighted the principal monarchs of europe and more than a million other subjects and that if one exhibition in the largest audience room in the town would not suffice two or even three would be given this was done quietly and yet as an advertisement effectively for strange as it may seem people who were told to keep quiet would get terribly excited and when the general arrived and opened his exhibitions excitement would be at fever heat the levees would be thronged and the treasury filled numerous were the word battles i had with mayors managers of theatres directors of hospitals and others relative to what i considered justly i think the outrageous imposition which the laws permitted in the way of taxes upon exhibitions thus the laws required for the sake of charity twenty-five per cent of my gross receipts for the hospitals while to encourage a local theatre or theatres which might suffer from an outside show twenty per cent more must be given to the local managers of course this law was nearly a dead letter for to have taken forty-five per cent of my gross receipts at every exhibition would soon have driven me from the provinces so the hospitals were generally content with ten per cent and five or ten francs a day satisfied the manager of a provincial theatre but at bordeaux the manager of the theatre wished to engage the general to appear in his establishment and as i declined his offer he threatened to debar me from exhibiting anywhere in town by demanding for himself the full twenty per cent the law allowed besides inducing the directors of the hospitals to compel me to pay them twenty-five per cent more here was a dilemma i must yield and take half i thought myself entitled to and permit the general to play for the manager or submit to legal extortion or forego my exhibitions i offered the manager six per cent of my receipts and he laughed at me i talked with the hospital directors and they told me that as the manager favored them they felt bound to stand by him i announced in the public journals that the general could not appear in bordeaux on account of the cupidity and extortionate demands of the theatre manager and the hospital directors the people talked and the papers denounced but manager and directors remained as firm as rocks in their positions tom thumb was to arrive in two days and i was in a decided scrape the mayor interceded for me but to no avail the manager had determined to enforce an almost obsolete law unless i would permit the general to play in the theatre every night my yankee dander was up and i declared that i would exhibit the general gratis rather than submit to the demand whereupon the manager only laughed at me the more to think how snugly he had got me now it happened that once upon a time bordeaux like most cities was a little village and the little village of vincennes lay one mile east of it bordeaux had grown and stretched itself and thickly settled far beyond vincennes bringing the latter nearly in the centre of bordeaux yet strange to say 
Vincennes maintained its own identity and had its own mayor and municipal rights quite independent of Bordeaux. I could scarcely believe my informant who told me this, but I speedily sought out the mayor of Vincennes, found such a personage, and cautiously inquired if there was a theater or a hospital within his limits. He assured me there was not. I told him my story and asked, If I open an exhibition within your limits, will there be any percentages to pay for my receipts? Not a sou, replied the mayor. Will you give me a writing to that effect? With the greatest pleasure, replied the mayor, and he did so at once. I put this precious paper in my pocket, and in a few moments I hired the largest dancing saloon in the place, a room capable of holding over 2,000 people. I then announced, especially to the delighted citizens of Bordeaux, that the general would open his exhibitions in Vincennes, which he soon did to an overflowing house. For thirteen days we exhibited the houses averaging more than three thousand francs per day, and for ten days more at largely increased receipts, not one sou of which went for taxes or percentages. The manager and the directors, theater and hospital, got nothing, instead of the fair allowance I would willingly have given them. Oh yes, they got something, that is, a lesson not to attempt to offset french shylockism against yankee shrewdness we were in the south of france in the vintage season nothing can surpass the richness of the country at that time of the year we travelled for many miles where the eye could see nothing but vineyards loaded with luscious grapes and groves of olive trees in full bearing it is literally a country of wine and oil our remunerative and gratifying round of mingled pleasure and profit brought us at last to lille capital of the department of nord and fifteen miles from the belgian frontier and from there we proceeded to brussels End of chapter twelve part two recording by nancy cochran gergen gilbert arizona